In the Quran, in Surah 8, verse 65, it says, O Prophet, urge the believers to war. If there are 20 patient ones of you, they shall overcome 200. If there is a hundred of you, they shall overcome a thousand of those who disbelieve because they are a people who do not understand. Does the Quran really teach violence? We'll be discussing this, so come join us on this edition of Good News for Muslims. Welcome to part 10 of a 13-part television series dealing with Christian and Islamic issues. And today we're going to discuss the issue of violence, violence in the Quran, uh, jihad, uh, groups like ISIS and Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda, and uh, whether this is a reflection of really what the Quran is saying or uh, whether it isn't. Uh, Shabazz, welcome again. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You've been with me for, uh, this is program number 10. And this has been quite a journey. And uh, now we're going to get into the issue of, of violence. Um, and I'd like to start out by just mentioning that I, I'm sure you remember where you were. I remember where I was on the morning of September 11, 2001. Uh, my wife and I were living in Texas. And I still remember uh, a friend of mine calling. The phone rang. I picked it up. It was a, a friend named Costin, Costin Jordash that I was working with him and he said, Steve, you've got to turn on that television set right now. So I got up, went over to the, to the TV, turned it on, and there were the, uh, the Twin Towers in New York. And one of them was burning, and then another plane hit the second tower. The second tower was burning, the first tower came down, the second tower came down, and I'm sure you remember that. And those, those images all day, again and again and again and again, you know, we, we watched and, and slowly the drama unfolded and we, we discovered that these were um, Muslim terrorists that had done this uh, terrible deed. And that created, you know, a lot of uh, scrutiny on Islam. So just, uh, you know, fill us in a little bit. Uh, what do you remember about that day and, and what were the issues that came up? I, I was living in California at that time, actually on a one-year assignment with uh, Adventist Frontier Mission. And, uh, and it was at my sister's when we watched the television, we saw that. I remember uh, very well how I felt as a Middle Eastern Christian, someone from Middle East who's a Christian, that, uh, oh boy, Muslim Middle Eastern, uh, uh, Muslims from Middle East have, are, have done this and now automatically you're a target. I mean, I was one. I mean, that was not my initial thoughts. My initial thoughts were the horror of what I was seeing, and praying for the people in those towers uh, that God would save them. And uh, and then after it all settled down, I mean, a few hours later, uh, I was thinking about that. And when I went to Walmart, I remember the the Walmart employees were all looking at me. Here's this guy looks like he's from Middle East, and they were just watching me as I was passing them by. And and um, and so it was an eerie feeling, very eerie. Yeah, and, and I mean, 
I think everybody would agree we, we know that those men who did those acts, that they were, or at least they considered themselves to be part of the religion of Islam. Absolutely. Uh, and they did what they did, you know, for Allah. Uh, I remember in 2007, I was actually invited to the Pentagon by a chaplain there to give a talk on Bible prophecy, which was quite an honor for me. And so uh, I met, I went there, spoke, um, met the chaplain, and I remember sitting with, with the chaplain in his office and we, we discussed September 11 a little bit and he said, uh, he just commented to me that we know all the men that were involved in this, uh, this act. We know everything about them. We know their names, their backgrounds, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, and this whole thing, what it did was it, it really was, uh, you know, a big uh, spark in America's quote unquote war against terror. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, names like Al Qaeda and now farther on, names like uh, ISIS and there's other groups, Boko Haram and, and Hezbollah and different groups that are involved in, you know, open warfare against uh, people in the West. They want to kill us. And, and the, the, the fact is that they use uh, surahs and verses in the Quran to justify uh, what they're what they're doing. Absolutely, isn't that right? Absolutely. Well, why don't you why don't you share? So I've I just read one a little bit ago. Um, I've you know I've read some of them in the Quran, and uh, here's another one. This is in Surah Two. It says, "Kill them wherever you find them." Verse. Uh, this is one verse 191 and then 193 says fight with them until there is no persecution and religion should be only for Allah. Yeah. Now, why don't you share a few others and sure. we'll just talk about this and look at these. Sure. Some of the Let other me, ones. Uh, just quickly say that uh, radical Islam, there is this, there is this um, uh, willingness on the side of many Muslims that don't live, at least the ones that don't live in the East, to distance themselves from radical Islam. But uh, I want to share those, some of those verses right now from the Quran. Okay. Um, uh, for instance, from Surah 9, uh, verse 5, because the argument is that, that, uh, that the Quran doesn't admonish us to fight anyone. But here's a verse, a classical verse that uh, it, I'm quoting. It says, but when the forbidden months are past, then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them. I mean, to find somebody is a deliberate seeking, searching, looking for them. So this is not in self-defense. This is actually going out. And it says, and seize them, uh, lay siege upon them, and lie in wait for them in every uh, stratagem of, of where the, there's war. But if they repent and establish regular prayers and practices, practice regular charity, then open the way for them for Allah is oft forgiven, forgiving most merciful. So there's clearly here, there is a deliberate going out, seeking the pagans, seeking for those who are, are not believers, uh, besieging them, killing them, uh, lying in wait for them, uh, element of surprise. And, uh, and this is not necessarily in, in a, a wartime. This is actually getting up and doing these things. It says after the forbidden months are past, 
And then in uh, same chapter, verse 29, which gets a little more closer to us as Christians, it says, fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and His Apostle, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, which is Islam as according to them, even if they are of the people of the book, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. So here in this verse, the admonition is to fight all those that don't believe in Allah, that do not follow the religion of Allah, which is Islam. And, um, and it says, even if they are of the people of the book. So here's a verse that admonishes, and this is why we saw on television, ISIS and murdering Christians and Jews because there's a verse that actually justifies their actions. And uh, if those Christians do not become followers of Islam, they will kill them. And in many instances, these things have happened. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been, well, maybe there has, there probably has, but it seems like it's hard to find a group that is more vicious than, than ISIS. I mean, you know, we you can go on to YouTube and you can see the horrible things that they've done and, and they, you know, they, they glory in that. And they claim that they're doing this for, for God, for yeah. Allah, that he, he wants them to do this. And it's just, you know, it's, it's awful. Well, ISIS is a, ISIS is a modern phenomenon uh, in a sense, you can say, but it's not the first time Islam has done this. In the, in, in the seventh century, when Persians invaded Persia, Persian historians have recorded... And Persians invaded Persia? I mean, excuse me, uh, Muslims invaded Persia, okay. sorry. Um, the Saracen Muslims from the, Arabia, the Arabic Peninsula, when they invaded Persia for the first time, uh, historians in Persia have recorded what happened, and it's almost identical to what happened uh, in Middle East in the last few years with ISIS. No difference. <laughs> They took the women as sex slaves, uh, they sold them, they also killed their men, and if they became Muslims, they would uh, spare them. If not, they would kill them. And, it, and this happened for uh, the first couple of hundred years of their siege of, of the Persian territory at that time. Now, I've, been, I've read that there's somewhere a, a little more than a hundred of these type of, uh, of statements in the Quran. I yes. read 109 or something like that that are pretty direct and straightforward. Now, um, let's just clarify right out of, right out of the gate that, that we both know that there are millions of Muslim people in this world that aren't like that. That's correct. Uh, you know, I've talked, to, the, I've talked to, to some here in America and, uh, and I've watched you know, programs and YouTube and I've seen Muslims on YouTube you know, just clarifying very strongly that they're not violent people, they don't believe in this, uh, uh, it does not reflect their faith. <clears throat> and and what, what inevitably I hear them say is that true Islam, as they, as they see it, especially Western Christians and I'm sure, or Western uh, Muslims, and I'm sure there are many in the East that feel this way too, true Islam does not condone or justify this kind of violence. Um, you know, I guess they have a, you know, a, a moderate view, and this one man that I met, a Muslim man, 
he said, none of my friends would ever do anything like this. You know, this is just not part of our world. It's not part of our life. Uh, you know, and they, you know, they fear for, for, for those that get radicalized and then get sucked in to that kind of life. But that's not something that they believe in. So my question is to you is, well, you know, what do they, what do they do with statements like this, O Prophet, urge the believers to war and fight them wherever you find them and things like this. How do they, um, what do they do with these, these statements? Well, you know, um, they, they have to, first of all, uh, when they say that the Quran does not promote violence, they have to, first of all, answer the question, why did then the Prophet Muhammad in his at least in the early years of his ministry when he was in Mecca, he was a peaceful prophet. He only promoted the, the message by preaching it. And he had very few followers in the years that he was there. When he moved to Medina, after his life was threatened and he and his followers moved to Medina, it's at Medina that he, he got this impression and the vision to, to use the sword. And when he used the sword, he had quickly, he, he had success and and in, in just a few short years, he had thousands of supporters. But, but uh, the history of Islam is that, that uh, everywhere that Islam was promoted, it was promoted through war. None of the countries that became Islamic in history actually invited Muslims to come and preach to us your message. It was, it was, uh, it was war. They went into Persia without being invited. They went to Eastern uh, uh, Roman Empire around the same time in the 7th century without being invited. When they came to North Africa and consequently other places in Africa, it was without invitation and it was at the point of the sword. So uh, this is, uh, Abu Bakr is the one that took the place of uh, Muhammad after his death and he wrote a letter to the king of Persia telling him, commanding him to surrender. And the king of Persia said, we will not surrender and they attacked and um, and uh, but but so we see a, a, a constant pattern here through century a time that Islam is sleeping and then suddenly it wakes up then it's sleeping then it wakes up then it's sleeping and it started that way it started with um, it was at first sleeping then it started to just basically attack and plunder and take over by force so so again how do non-violent natured Muslims uh, explain these statements? They, well, they cannot explain it. They are trying to, what they're trying to do, they're trying to uh, marry, give a marriage between their own expression and ex worldview of Islam to that which the Quran talks about. Therefore, they come up with ideas that, that those verses are only for times of war or, or uh, uh, or those verses are designed uh, to uh, help us to understand that that was the way it was back then. But, uh, but it's not saying that. It's actually there's a command to get up and now, wage war. I've heard that um, the idea that jihad, that, that you know, it may, it may seem to be a physical, you know, a call to physical warfare against the unbelievers, but, but one of the ways they look at this would be jihad is actually spiritual. It's a spiritual conflict. It's not a physical conflict. It's a spiritual conflict. So the calls to rise up and go to war have to do with warring against uh, yourself and warring against your sins and trying to, you know, get closer to God. That's right. That's um, what I say, but the, the verse is very clear. You can't have a 
spiritual jihad while you're killing pagans you and non-believers. You can't have a spiritual, that's not spiritual yeah. jihad, that's a physical that's a jihad. physical jihad. Because they're actually killing the pagans, they are, they're killing the non-believers that will not follow Islam. Yeah, so, I mean, so it's, it seems to me that, um, you know, that, that those who, who have a sort of a, you know, a, a peaceful version of Islam, which is what a lot of people do, they have that, that they're, that they're really, you know, they're doing their best to try to uh, kind of get around these statements or to rationalize them or to interpret them in a different way. But when you really look at them straight out, that's uh, really not what they say. Yeah. And, and isn't it true that this, these are the very statements that groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and, and you know, the quote-unquote radicals, they use these quotes and they fuel them to do what they're doing. And that they say that the moderates are really apostate. That's they're right. really not following their own book. Yes. Isn't that their Absolutely claim? Absolutely, it's the claim. And in fact, in many of the uh, recruiting videos of ISIS, uh, their, uh, their thing was, the message to the Muslim world was, go back to the book and read the book and see what the book says. And based on the book, come and join us. Because they knew if the Muslims would go and read, they will see these verses that they have been called to war. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, in my getting ready for this, this, uh, these programs, a friend of mine recommended a book called uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. This is an amazing book. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller written by Nabil Qureshi. And the subtitle says, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. And it says over 500,000 copies sold. And I read this book cover to cover. And this was a, a Muslim man, you know, as you were growing up a Muslim as well. And this man, you know, was a searcher. And, and he finally started looking at these issues and wrestling with these issues. and. And uh, at one point, he has a, a section here where he went to his house and he went into his dad's library and he found a copy, a full copy of Sahih Bukhari's nine volumes, which is a hadith, you know, you know what that is. Yes. It's a collection of almost, that almost all Muslims consider to be the most his historically authentic. And then it says uh, it didn't take him long after reading this to realize that the Muhammad that he had come to know was really a filtered version. And it took him about 30 seconds to realize that as he got in deeper. And then he says in the first volume, the third hadith told the familiar story of Muhammad's first revelation in the cave of Hira. Is it Hira? Mm -hmm. It included the details I'd learned in childhood, but there were more particulars that I had not heard before. Instead of recounting that the angel Gabriel simply asked Muhammad to recite uh, what he was being given, Muhammad himself reported that the angel caught me forcefully and pressed me so hard that I could not bear it anymore. Each time the angel asked Muhammad to recite verses, the angel pressed Muhammad so hard that he could not bear the pressure. After his encounters with the angel, Muhammad returned to his wife terrified. Quote, his heart was beating severely. And then it says, um, when he saw Gabriel, his neck muscles twitched in terror when the angel came back. Mm. And then it says, uh, when Gabriel had been gone for a while, the prophet was so depressed that he intended several times to throw himself from the top of high mountains. So he discovered from reading this uh, respected hadith that, that uh, Muhammad was actually you know, almost uh, assaulted 
by this angel named uh, apparently Gabriel when he first encountered him in the, in the cave and that he became, uh, he became suicidal or, you know, he had to resist not killing himself. Yeah. And uh, Nabil says that this was a different version. Absolutely. Uh, but he read that, you know, in, in respected writings. Absolutely. Because when I was a Muslim, we were all told that, that when Gabriel visited Muhammad, it was a very um, peaceful encounter and it was very nice and it was, it was a divine revelation. But uh, the hadith that you just quoted is actually the one absolutely the most respected on, on all levels within Islam. And, and they just, but most uh, clerics will not quote from that particular section. And, and, you know, and like I said, when you look at the statements in the Quran, you know, in the last, one of our last programs, I think it was the last one, we talked about John 16, 13, where Jesus said that when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Yes. And, uh, you know, it sure seems to me that, that the, the spirit of truth, of, of honesty, of sober thinking, when you really look at these statements in the Quran, uh, that they really are violent. Mm -hmm. and, and to just say that they're just dealing with spiritual jihad or that they're dealing just with the historical context only and that, um, you know, that the Quran itself isn't responsible for these groups like ISIS that are doing what they're doing you know, it just doesn't seem to me to be really a, a true evaluation. The spirit of truth wants us to see truth, to see the facts. And, you know, this reminds me of, a, of an encounter that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, where Jesus answered Pilate in verse 36, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Amen. So Jesus Christ clearly taught that his servants were not to fight. He didn't uh, justify uh, you know, human violence against other people in any way. And then Pilate said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Amen. And it's, you know, it's very clear in the, in the Gospels that Jesus, Jesus himself did not uh, promote or justify or defend any kind of uh, persecution or violence against others. Here's another verse in Matthew 544 where Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which Amen. is in heaven. Amen. What a contrast. What a contrast from the verses that we just read from the Quran. And, and I have to say one thing else that, that um, this, uh, this Christ of peace, and he said, you know, he, he came to save that which was lost. And when we, we make a contrast with what we've seen in ISIS, I have to add this as well, that ISIS didn't just come into an existence in a vacuum, you know, that there was nothing there and then suddenly... No, there was reasons for ISIS to come to existence. And we see that from these verses in the Quran, 
And they did not just accidentally say, oh, let's go do this in, in, in opposition to what the Quran says. Because ISIS claims to be the most faithful movement to the Quran, which is a, which is, which is a Sunni Wahhabi movement and that uh, they believe that they are adhering to the letter of the book, uh, the Quran, and, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. And same with Al-Qaeda and all the other uh, radical movements in Islam. So I guess, you know, those who are non-violent non by nature, uh, which is millions of Muslims, you know, I, it seems to me that they just really need to take a, a hard look at these statements. That's right. The vast and majority of Muslims are not violent. The vast majority. If they were, if they were all like ISIS, it would be a horrible situation in the world. Worse than what it is right now. Yeah. And, then, and then people have to ask themselves, you know, is this really, is this really what I believe? Yeah. You know, do I really believe that statements like that did they really come from God, mm. or maybe uh, something else is involved? Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then take a look at Jesus. Yeah. Take a look at him and his life. That he didn't teach any of these things. No. Uh, Pontius Pilate said, "I find no no fault with him, no fault." And you know, there's another verse that I've been, I was just thinking about, in Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy of Christ. Uh, it describes his suffering, what he would go through, how he would be led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her, her shears is dumb, dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He would be taken from prison and from judgment. Uh, he would be cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He would be stricken. Amen. And then verse 9 says that he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, which is exactly what happened. He That's was right. put in the tomb of uh, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. And then it says, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit found in his mouth. So it's very clear from this passage that Jesus himself, there was no violence Amen. in his life at all. And I just think, you know, what a, what a role model, what an example to us today. And there should be no violence in the followers of Christ. All those that follow Christ have the same spirit. Yeah, and, and it's true that if you look at history, I mean, there have been Christians who have persecuted in the past, quote-unquote Christians during the Dark Ages. And uh, there's been a lot of persecution in the name of God yes, yes. throughout history in different religions. But according to Jesus himself, uh, that's not something that Jesus taught that he justifies, that he supports. Uh, he said, my servants, you know, if I was of this world, my servants would fight. But I am not from here. Amen. I am from above Amen. and I'm a king. Uh, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, we've, we've looked at some of the evidence from the Bible and the Quran and really, you know, it's up to you to decide who you want to follow and who, whose teachings uh, resonate with your conscience and with uh, what you know to be right. And uh, I just want to end with, we read yesterday or in our last program, John 16, 13, Jesus talked about the spirit of truth guiding us into all truth. And it's our hope and prayer that the, the Holy Spirit of truth will guide your life now and forever. We hope you enjoyed Good News for Muslims with Steve Wolberg and Shabazz. This entire 13-part series is now available on DVD. 
To order from within the U.S., call Whitehorse Media at 1-800-782-4253. To watch the series online or for more information, visit the website, www.goodnewsformuslims.com.